I am turned on. There we go. Oh, yeah, there we go. Just stand up and have a stretch. Obviously, you'll realise that I can't stand up this morning. Actually, technically, I can stand up. Um, I do have the use of my legs. Um, but um, just before everyone starts asking lots of questions and checking how I'm doing, um, I'm spending a week in a wheelchair, um, partly to find out what it's like, um, because I work um, at East Anglian Children's Hospice and work with lots of people in wheelchairs, so kind of want to find out what it's like for the young people that I work with. But also, um, I'm doing it um, to raise awareness of the Treehouse Appeal, which is raising money for um, the Children's Hospice because they've built a new hospice. If you want to find out more, it's in the notices and you can sit down again now. I'm not going to go on about it. I'm not going to um, try and beg for money or anything like that. But if anyone would like to make a donation, then you can see my wife. Um, or go on the website or whatever um, is best for you. Now, I don't know about you, does, does anybody know where harvest actually comes from? This whole idea of gathering together and having this type of church service to celebrate harvest. I was on holiday down in Cornwall, um, which is probably the best place in the world, um, and, and I was looking through the rough guide to Cornwall um, for places to go. And um, as I was reading through, I started reading about this place. And I read about this man called Robert Stephen Hawker. Has anybody heard of him? Nobody has heard of Robert Stephen Hawker. Well, I remembered this as I was planning the service. And I went on to Wikipedia. So you can obviously trust the things that I'm about to share with you. Now, somehow I have backed it up by checking it out in other places. Um, but Wikipedia just, they expressed it and told the story of Robert Stephen Hawker better than anybody else. So let me just read to you um, a little bit of background about this man. Parson Hawker, as he was known to his parishioners, was something of an eccentric. Both in his clothes and his habits, he loved bright colours. Anybody else like bright colours? Yeah, we've got... A few people I can see from some shirts, no names mentioned, that some people like bright colours. Um, and it seems the only black things he wore were his socks. He built a small hut that became known as Hawker's Hut, from driftwood on the cliffs overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, where he would spend many hours writing poems and smoking opium. <laughs> Obviously not to be encouraged. Uh, this driftwood hut is now the smallest property in the National Trust portfolio. Other eccentricities included dressing up as a mermaid and excommunicating his cat for mousing on Sundays. He dressed in a claret-coloured coat, blue fisherman's jersey, long sea boots and a pink brimless hat. This is where I think possibly Wikipedia has been tampered with, but who knows. And a poncho made from a yellow horse blanket which he claimed was the ancient habit of St. Padan, or Paden, or however you pronounce that particular saint's name. He talked to birds, invited his nine cats into church, and kept a huge pig as a pet. I read this to my wife, and she said that sounds like he should probably be spending some time at St. Clement's. The Harvest Festival that we know today was introduced in the small village of Morwenstow in 1843 by Hawker. So this crazy man introduced 
this service and this festival in the modern way that we're celebrating it today. I think we've changed it slightly. He invited his parishioners to a harvest service. He wanted to give thanks to God for providing such plenty in a more fitting way. This service that he organised took place on the 1st of October and bread made from the first cut of corn was taken at communion. But that wasn't the first idea of bringing offerings and gifts of thanks to God. That goes back a lot further. If you were to look back to Leviticus, if I can find the page, there it is. If you go back right to Leviticus 7, which is right at the start of the Bible. And actually, if, has anybody read Leviticus like, in its entirety? There's like a few, a few adults who have kind of studied theology and like, like reading and stuff. But most of us don't read Leviticus. Any children here read Leviticus? Leviticus is... It's, okay. okay, some studious young people have read Leviticus. Good for you. Most of us don't read Leviticus. It's full of all sorts of details about laws and the way things should be done and the way that um, the Israelites had to live and all that sort of stuff. But in Leviticus 7, it talks about offerings of thanksgiving. It says in verses 12 to 15, If he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, he is to offer cakes of bread made without yeast and mixed with oil, wafers made without yeast and spread with oil, and cakes of fine flour, well kneaded and mixed with oil. Along with this fellowship offering of thanksgiving, he is to present an offering with cakes of bread made with yeast. He is to bring one of each kind as an offering, a contribution to the Lord. It belongs to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offerings. The meat of the fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten on the day it is offered. He must leave none of it till morning. Now we've moved on a little bit from those times. As you can see, today we've brought tins and cans and packets of food, which all looks good. And I think there's kind of a few toiletries in there as well that I've spotted along the way. We've been able to go and buy a whole variety of stuff. Throughout the Bible, it talks about thanks and thanksgiving and thankfulness. It's mentioned apparently 144 different times. So it comes once or twice as something that is important for us to celebrate in the Bible. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel when you receive a gift. I don't know when you... When you get a gift, do you get excited? Who gets excited when they get a gift? I get excited. Actually, if I'm honest, sometimes I get excited. Sometimes, if I'm honest, I take it a bit for granted. I kind of go, well, yeah, it's my birthday. I was expecting to get presents because I've grown up getting presents and that's just what I expect now. I don't know if you're a bit like that. I don't know if sometimes when you're given something, you think, well, yeah, of course I'm getting a present. And maybe you get excited about what it is. Maybe there's times when you don't just take something for granted, but actually you look at all the stuff that you've got. And we can look at all this stuff that we've got here today. And maybe we can feel a little bit guilty about the stuff that we've got. Maybe actually you kind of go... And maybe you see a picture on TV of, of somewhere and you think, actually, 
I feel guilty because I've just got all this stuff. But maybe you take it for granted, uh, maybe you accept it gratefully. And you receive things. And you've got all these wonderful things. God's provided us. If you're living in the UK, which we all are at the moment, we're just blessed with so much. We know that we can go into a shop and we can buy stuff. It's just there for us. We don't have to wait for the right season to come along for us to be able to get strawberries in a supermarket because they're there all year round now. I think they taste better when they come at the right season. But they're there all year round. If you give somebody a gift, if you give somebody a gift and you give it out of love, you want them, you want the person that receives it to accept it and to enjoy it, don't you? If you give someone a gift and, and they don't like it, you feel a bit sad about that. Or if you give someone a gift and they take it for granted, they go, oh yeah, another one of those. Oh yeah, put it in my collection. Actually, that doesn't make you feel very good, does it? If somebody says, oh no, I can't take that. No, 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 you can't give me that. You go, well, actually, I want to give it to you. I bought it for you. Or I made it for you because I love you. And I want to give it to you. I actually want you to accept it. When you give a gift... You want it to be accepted gratefully. Now maybe you struggle with receiving gifts because you give to other people not out of love. Maybe you've got other purposes when you give gifts. Or maybe you struggle to receive gifts because somebody has at some point given you something and actually you've had to do something because you've been given that. And so it's not been a gift but more of a payment. But I believe that God gives us gifts And he's given us wonderful provision that we can see behind us. He's given us this great building, which is still being finished off. He's given it to us out of love. And he's given it to us because he wants us to enjoy it. And so rather than feeling guilty that maybe we've got more than others, or maybe rather than taking for granted the things that we have, I think that it's really important that we say thank you to God for the things that we have. We can say thank you to God for all the things that we can enjoy. Our belongings, the houses that we live in, the food that we're going to enjoy at lunchtime today and for the tea and coffee and cakes that we're going to enjoy at the end of the service, for friends and for family. So we're going to sing our next song and we're going to bring our praise and our thanksgiving to God for all that he has given to us. In Romans uh, 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, as well as having all the stuff that we've got to be thankful for, God has given us all sorts of spiritual gifts that we can be thankful for or things that are maybe on a kind of spiritual level. God sent Jesus as a sacrifice. But why? Now back in the Old Testament, 
as well as bringing gifts of offerings, people used to bring sacrifices. And they used to bring to the priest, which, as things developed in the Old Testament, would have been in a lovely temple. But they'd have brought sacrifices to the priest. They'd have brought sheep and goats at different times. And the, and the priest would sacrifice these animals. Now, it would be a very different service today if we had Neil at the front and maybe kind of slaughtering a few sheep and goats and then if we burnt them um, on an altar. I don't know how... That's next week. Okay, fair enough. I dread to think what Neil's going to do next week. But we'd have had to have built our building differently. We'd have had to have a special chimney or something for health and safety reasons. Neil would have had to have um, probably some sort of food hygiene um, or a slaughterer's certificate or, or skills in butchery. He wouldn't just be able to come and to make that sacrifice. Now, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. But the reason that people used to do that, there's probably, if you're like me, and you're, for the younger lads in here, if you're like me, you're thinking that would be pretty cool if we still had to do the whole, I've got Shane going, yeah, actually, I'd quite enjoy that. Um, a little bit gory, a little bit gross, get stuck in, blood everywhere, fire. It's quite manly. We'd enjoy it. But actually, um, the reason that they would do that is um, because of the way things worked in the Old Testament times, was that they would bring sacrifices to say sorry. And people recognised the things that they'd done wrong. And, and to say sorry and to get God's forgiveness, they would bring these things and they'd go through that whole process. Now, so that we don't have to do that today, God sent Jesus It's not that we've stopped doing bad things or thinking wrong thoughts. We're not suddenly all a bunch of good people that don't do wrong. If you're like me, I still do things wrong all the time. My wife can confirm that. But God sent Jesus as a sacrifice. Now, parents, just... Just think for a moment, how would you feel if, if God was asking you to send your child as a sacrifice? And kids, young people, how would you feel if your mum or your dad said, oh, now I've got this little task for you. It's going to mean that, you know, everybody's saved and forgiven, but you need to go and get nailed to a cross. You need to be tortured. Anyone think that, yeah, I'd really like it if my parents said that to me. I'm willing to be that person. No? No parent willing to say, actually, yeah, I'll give up my children. That's a tough ask, isn't it? And yet God asked Jesus and Jesus said, yeah, all right. And I'm pretty sure he battled with it and wrestled with it because we read some of his accounts and his prayers before he went to the cross. But I'm thankful that they did it. Because not only does Jesus come, and not only is he sacrificed on our behalf, but he brings forgiveness. 
And if you accept Jesus has died for you, then you too can receive that forgiveness. He hasn't died for the sake of someone else or just for the sake of it. He's, he's died for you and he's died for me. And if you're carrying around some sort of burden of guilt, maybe it's for something you've done this morning, maybe it's something you've done this week, or maybe it's something that you've carried around with you for a long time. Then actually Jesus is prepared to take that and say, I forgive you. And when you think about that drama and some of the issues that were raised as Andy and Claire or Hilda, and I didn't catch the other character's name, there wasn't one, Betty or whatever. As they were talking, they were kind of discussing issues about things they'd seen in the news and maybe you've seen the situation in Pakistan and maybe you've seen um, pictures from Africa. Maybe you've thought about the women in the refuge that we brought gifts for this morning. Maybe you just take it for granted that you've been forgiven and that you've been blessed. Maybe you feel guilty because you don't think you've done enough. Or maybe actually you accept gratefully the things that God has given you and you accept God's forgiveness. Perhaps you need to say sorry because perhaps you have been one of those people that's taken things for granted or felt guilty unnecessarily. But maybe you feel guilty because actually you know that there's things you need forgiveness for and there's things that actually you haven't done. Maybe you just went to the shop today and you went, oh, quick, I need to grab something because I've got to put something on display. And perhaps you should, perhaps you feel that you should share more willingly the things that God has given to you because I think the more that we share, the more that we enjoy the stuff that we have. I believe it's okay to accept gratefully the things that we've got, whether it's the physical stuff, as I talked about earlier, or whether it's the spiritual stuff. And that sharing stuff, once we've got it, is so much better than storing it up and holding on to it for ourselves. I'm really grateful that God sent Jesus, that he died on a cross for me, and he's forgiven me for the things that I've done wrong. We're going to sing. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending your son, for forgiving us and for leaving your Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it says, Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now, I don't know what you're used to from your harvest services, but when I was growing up, we used to have a display at the farm that was full of lots of lovely looking things that were generally really um, useless for giving away to uh, charities because they had to kind of use them that day or within the first kind of days after the service. And charities would get stuff from schools and um, churches and wherever it was having a service, and it would be... John, I guess like the marrow, 
um, that was um, the one from Norfolk that was just huge. And so my image of kind of a harvest festival table is that there's some lovely bread with some lovely bread platted. How people do that, I've no idea. Been watching the Great British Bake Off over the last few weeks and still don't know. And there'd be lots of lovely looking fruits and all those sorts of things. So when I think of harvest, I think I think fruit and vegetables. And I've been growing my own recently. And we have mixed success. Um, all of our tomatoes got wiped out with blight, which satisfied me um, deeply. But our monge too was fantastic. And it's so satisfying when you go into your garden and you go and you find some fruit or some veg that you've had some role in growing. And you pick it. And our monge too didn't make it into the house because we just go out we pick it. Because fruit and veg, when they're fresh... Not wrapped up in a can. They're just so delicious. They're so delicious. They're so appealing, so attractive. And I think it's the same with the fruit of the spirit. Now, if you if you think about fruit, if you think about a fruit bowl or a fruit shop, I suppose a grocer's or the fruit in a shop, we think of fruit. It can be one of those words that can be one or it can be many. You can have a fruit or lots of fruit. And if I was to say, you know, if you were going to go into a supermarket, you might say, you might, there's lots of different types of fruit. Or in your you might have oranges and apples and bananas and pears and all that sort of good stuff. So sometimes we use the word fruit to mean lots of different things. And sometimes you mean it to mean just one. So you have a fruit tree, perhaps an apple tree or an orange tree. You get one type of fruit on that tree. They all look different, but you only get one type, so you get one, you get an apple on an apple tree. And some people look at the fruit of the Spirit and they say, there's lots, there's nine different there's fruits of the Spirit. So it's a bit like your fruit bowl that you've got at home. And it's full of all these lots of good fruits, they all are different and they all taste good. But then there's the, the view that maybe actually there's only one type of fruit of the Spirit and the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all part of that one, that same fruit. And actually, when you bite into a fruit, you can't help but you can separate out the vitamins that are in there and the juice and the goodness. I suppose you could if you were uh, if you in a laboratory and you put it into a, one of the things that spins around really quickly and separates stuff out. Separate stuff out. Generally, we can't. But whichever way you look at it, you look at it. The fruit of the spirit is a fruit. Fruits. What is a fruit? Bit of a biology lesson for you. Does anybody know what a fruit is? Can anybody define a fruit? An edible thing with pips in the middle. Anyone? Everyone agree with that? Any any advances or changes on what a fruit might be? Yeah. Some, some fruits and veg are filled up with just calcium. Some fruits and veg are filled up with calcium, so they've got different things in them, so like vitamins or things like that, so that might define a fruit. Any other ideas about what a fruit is? How to define a fruit? Well, a fruit, I went and found this out, I went and looked it up, because uh, I, I thought similar things to you, and I discovered this. There's a lovely little diagram that should come up, and that should come up, explains apparently what... A fruit is. Now, in botany, 
Her fruit is the ripened ovary together with seeds of a flowering plant. In many species, the fruit incorporates the ripened ovary and surrounding tissues. Fruits are the means by which flowering, by which flowering disseminate seeds. So it doesn't matter how you look at the fruit of the Spirit, whether there's one that contains everything or lots of different ones. Actually, the fruit, it's the part that's attractive. But it contains the seeds. It's important to note that God doesn't say, and the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't call it a vegetable of the Spirit. It's not the nut of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is attractive. It is tasty. It's full of nutrients that are good for you. But it's so part that contains the seed. Some are small. Some are big. In some, on some fruits, there's lots of different parts. Like a raspberry is made up of loads of little different bits. There's got lots of little seeds in. Some, like some mangoes, have just one seed inside. and seed big. The seed in the mango seems to take up the whole thing sometimes. But plants need seeds. They need seeds because that's what allows them to go on living, to multiply, to reproduce. And those seeds are contained within something tasty so that I might eat it, you might eat it, birds and other animals eat it, and then we go and spread those seeds in various ways. We don't need to go into too much detail. Now, if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And his fruit grows within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's those things that make us attractive to others. I know loads of people who they tell their story about how they became a Christian. They say, there was somebody at work, or there was someone in my family, or there was someone somewhere. And there was something about them that was attractive. And I wanted what it was that they'd got. That bit for me is the attractive bit of the fruit of the Spirit. But that means that we as Christians are carrying a seed. And we should not hold on to it or save it ourselves. But a seed should be shared so that it can grow. So that next year we can celebrate harvest again. Not just with produce and with gifts, but with new life. Perhaps new Christians who themselves are bearing fruit and sowing seeds.